Welcome to a special edition of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. We have another guest supplied podcast episode, guest episode, guest episode. Super happy about this. Basically, we have this Midlife Pilot community that has been just amazing. And they get into this conversation that I just thought was completely worth publishing here. And I thought all of our listeners would really appreciate. This is a fantastic, informative, great conversation. So enjoy this and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Okay, so Josh, you have started doing some crazy type of flying. What is this? Why are you doing it? And is your stomach okay? Yeah, so my stomach's okay to answer the most important thing. I actually handled this pretty well. I was pleased that I walked away from this with nothing but feeling a little soreness the next day. But now I started looking into ways to get out of my rut is the way that I thought of it. I've gotten into a groove of flying three hour IFR cross country legs between Pittsburgh and Massachusetts autopilot 90% of the time. And I was just looking for a way to expand my envelope of proficiency and been looking into upset recovery training and found place in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is right near where I am now. And to do its upset recovery, unusual attitudes, spin training, and then also some light aerobatics. So it was a real intimidating thing. Once I signed up for it, I signed up for about three months ago and then had been dreading it in the ensuing time. Why have you been dreading it? Are you, are you a thrill seeker or are you a someone who would much prefer things to be stable and predictable where do you fall on that spectrum yeah i it's split really outside of flying i would say i'm a pretty big thrill seeker i've been able to do a lot of pretty fun crazy things whether it's jumping off the stratosphere in las vegas with my daughter or whatever kind of 130 mile an hour roller coaster that are opening up next year. We're going to, we want to be the first in line to do stuff like that. But when it comes to flying, I really, I fly very with, within a really narrow envelope. And one of the things the instructor that I was working with was saying is that most people use about 5% of the performance envelope of their air. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, I probably use about two and a half percent. Hmm. The performance envelope of my airplane on average, on an average flight. And that's great. Predictable, safe flying is what I aim for when it comes to if I'm faced with a situation I didn't expect. The startle factor and comfort level I feel in being able to perform proficiently in those things further outside of my normal kind of range of operation. That was really what led me to think. This is something I want to do. I want to get some more experience that pushes me, that gets me out of my comfort zone. So what do you mean by the performance envelope of the airplane? Because I am in the process of increasing the performance capabilities of my airplane by selling one and buying a different one. And I felt like I ran into the edge of what it was capable of performing. So when you say the performance envelope, what do you mean? So I'm talking about... 
plus 3.5 G to negative 1.2 G, 60 degrees nose up to 30 degrees nose down to 60 degree banks, edge of what the plane legally can do. You know, I don't go anywhere near those numbers Hmm. Hmm. and my normal flying. And I don't want to. Yeah. So your goal is to get out of your rut. And so basically the main thing that you were trying to get out of this is upset recovery. Describe a little bit more what that is. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's broadly called upset recovery training and the acronym is actually UPRT. It's upset prevention and recovery training. And it encompasses stalls, spins, unusual attitudes, and, and things like accelerated stalls and some of the more like a falling leaf and just some of these different ways of maneuvering the plane to, to get a handle of how it performs when it's either on the edge of flying or just over the edge of a stall. So you're so, doing, uh, I, you're doing this in a, in not in your airplane. That's right. Yeah. My airplane's not, I couldn't do this training in my airplane solely for the biggest reason is my airplane's not approved for spins. And this includes spin training. So what, so, so we have, so how do you translate what you're learning in? So what is the, first of all, what is the airplane? And then how do you translate what you're learning in that airplane to your normal flying? Yeah. yeah. So the airplane we were flying is called an extra 330 LX. It is a beast of an airplane. It is so powerful. It's an, it, first of all, it's a tail wheel. So even though I'm sitting in the front, my instructor's behind me, but he's doing takeoffs and landings and I'm just, we're just getting, into a place where he's setting me up for something and then I'm recovering. But, but applying it to my flying is something that the things that will help me are like, I think the biggest one is probably unusual attitude recovery. Something I think about a lot is getting flipped upside down in wake turbulence because that happens. It happened to a Cirrus in Knoxville, Tennessee last year. And knowing how to recover from that is something that I thought a lot about. And, reading about that accident and understanding what caused it and understanding my risk for getting myself in that same kind of situation. For the spin training stuff, I think I will, our procedure in a series is you get in a spin and you pull caps, you pull the parachute and I'll continue to do that. But the practice of recovering from spins in the extra helped me understand the aerodynamic forces behind it a lot more and helped me understand the rudder work. And really, one thing I, it, in flying this year is my, my, my airplane has a yaw dampener, which means that I don't need to use my feet when I'm flying. And it's great from comfort and ease of flying perspective, but it's terrible from a proficiency perspective. And this airplane getting up there and going heavy on the rudders and all of these maneuvers really pushed me and it really helped me get a lot. I would say a lot more of a deeper understanding of when you're entering a stall, when you're entering a spin, when you're doing some of these maneuvers, just exactly how that thing works and how what it feels like when you're using too much runner or too little. So that's something that's I'll con- that will continue to help me on every landing I have. When I'm dancing on the pedals in a crosswind, that's going to be a really useful skill. And we did a lot of really extreme kind of maneuvers that pushed me, made me realize I'm not a real expert here on the rudders and I got, I got a lot to learn 
I learned a lot in the three days we did this, but I want to keep working on it and do more. So I've brought so ben. ben up to the sage because I think he had a question. I sage do. on the stage. <laughs> I apologize for my voice. I'm battling a little bit of a cold here. After watching your videos, question is, and this also stems from some of the maneuvers I'm learning, but how much of your focus when you're doing this upset recovery training, how much of your focus was on rudder control versus aileron control? Because to me, with that extra, it's got a pretty big runner on it, doesn't it? It does. And it's pretty effective. So you're, so that's my question is how much of your focus was on rudder control versus aileron? It depends on how much I was spinning or not spinning. If I'm not, if it's a, an un- unusual attitude recovery, I wasn't doing a lot on the rudder, rudders other okay. than keeping myself pointed straight. But if there was a spin involved and a couple of times he would say, close, cover your eyes, put you in an unusual attitude and say, recover, open your eyes, orient yourself and then figure out what to do. A couple of times he'd put me in a spin instead of just an attitude. So I, okay, now it's rudder time. But, but yeah, the rudder on that is, it's a massive thing. It deflects a lot. And it doesn't take probably, it's probably like the L run. So one I've seen is it's pretty fine tuned, like a very small movement of the stick yields a lot of movement with the airplane. Is the rudder the same way? Yeah. The rudder has a lot of play. I guess it, it really depends. It depends partially on how fast you're going. Um, it's going. It, as you're getting as you're getting close to a stall, you're pulling the stick back further and further. You're going to need more rudder input to do that. Not as much wind as going about. I get that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It looked like a lot of fun. It did look incredibly fun. The some of the a lot of the stuff that we're doing is I want to do this to be a better pilot, and I'm going to learn to use the rudder better. I'm going to learn how to perceive. When I'm getting close to a bad situation in the plane, I'm going to learn how to prevent myself from getting into these situations. I'm going to learn how to recover. But then at one point, we're up there in this beast of an aerobatic airplane. And he's, okay, I think we got this. Do you want to try something? I would say, yeah, I'd love to try something. And so in the first couple of flights, we were able to do, he's, okay, we're going to, we're going to start with an aileron roll. I got really excited. I've never been upside down in an airplane before in my life, at least not that I'm aware of, maybe <laughs> unless there's something that some airliner didn't tell me one time. But the first time we go, we do an inverted check. Basically, he basically said, this is a seatbelt check. We're just going to fly inverted for a little bit, make sure we're nice and tight. And uh, he takes the controls and he just, and literally that fast. It's just, and we're upside down and just hanging. And it feels very different from what I expected. I was, I don't know what I've been on upside down on roller coasters and stuff, but when you're just hanging there, you're feeling that full negative one cheek and you're like the, my cheeks are up in my eyeballs and in came back around. I did ratchet my seatbelt down a little bit tighter after that. Get those ratchets on the seatbelt. Yeah, yeah. And then the next time he let me take it inverted and then just control the plane upside down for a little bit nose down and that was really a really interesting experience so when he yeah, we were gives able to do some full rolls so when he gives you like a unusual attitudes recovery does like it could be you could look up and you're inverted 
Yeah. So that's the, that's one of the best things about this is he was like, there's your check ride unusual attitudes. He's, these are different. He, he's, I'm going to use the full sphere of options. So you could be pointed in any direction, any attitude. And he did. We would be inverted. We would be completely sideways. And so it was a very, a much more extreme kind of situation. And the, and what that, one of the effects of that is that the first step of any unusual attitude recovery is to orient yourself. And the first thing, you know, do is just look all around and try to figure out what is my quickest way back to level. Hmm. And then immediately unload. Yeah, I, I mentioned in some of the comments is one of the th- things that was an interesting learning from this for me is the first step of all these recoveries is to push. The first, the second step after orienting yourself, the first action you take for recovery is to unload the wings. And the way you described it, which makes sense, I hadn't heard it really described this way, but stalls happen when you ask the wings to do too much work. So the first thing you need to do is just lighten its workload. Just push the stick forward. You're unloading the wings. Even if you're nose down in a nose down attitude, first step is unload the wings. And that doesn't mean stick full four. It just means a little north of center. And then roll, recover, get to level, and get the wings level, and then get the nose to the to level. But Do you feel like... Some, one oh, of the, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. I was just going to say, one of the surprising ways of getting to level that I wasn't taught in private training was in a in an extreme nose up unusual attitude. If you think about what you might roll the wings level and push down, or I guess when it's nose up, you do those simultaneously. He said actually the most efficient way to recover from an extreme nose attitude is to go more like knife edge and then let the nose come down and then level the wings. That at that point, because if you roll the wings level, your lift, your vector of lift is then going straight up, which then wants you to pull the plane higher. Whereas if you let that, if you let that nose come down while the wings are still not level, you're letting it work for you. It's a more efficient way. Now he said, you don't have to do that. It's, it's easier you, in your brain. If you're faced with this in real life, you're probably going to roll the wings level first and that's fine. It was just an interesting thought process for me to try to understand that. It strikes me as like in the commercial pilot maneuvers, there's a maneuver called the lazy eights. And their part of it is that you get to a 30 degree bank and you've, you're at the highest pitch level. And then you just let the nose go through, through the, what do you call it? The horizon. And then you slowly bring out the bank. Anyway, it's remind what you're describing reminds me of that. Of course, I haven't. I think it's the exact same principle. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. So uh, maybe we need to bring Sage back up here and get him to explain that. But Ted, did you have any questions? Yeah, how much of that applies back to the Cirrus? How much of it is acrobatic, and how much of it is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think what applies back to the Cirrus is the comfort level of operating outside of the normal. I think that's the biggest thing I'm taking away from it. And the unusual attitude recovery. Because we're not, I'm not going to pull a shoot if I just find myself at 90 degrees to the rise. That it's. Oh yeah. Yeah. We pull the shoot for a lot of reasons and we're coached to do it more than we think we should. 
But an unusual attitude is something I can safely recover from, and getting good at that is something that will help me definitely in the series. But more broadly, it's just limiting, I think, reducing the startle factor. So having been in these situations, having been inverted, having seen sideways and upside down looks like in a plane and knowing what to do, even just having done that for the dozen or so times I was able to in the four flights we took, I think goes a long way towards trying reducing the risk of a panic response you know of just seeing the ground in front of you and just pulling the stick reflexively for <laughs> sure just getting that completely out of the set of options so that's a big one that i feel a lot better now about that chris you had a question yeah hey josh chris. going back to the, this is more a question of the procedures with your cirrus you mentioned earlier that the procedure, if you get into a spin, is to pull caps. Is that like right away or do you have, can you try to get out of the spin? I only ask that because in the Piper I'm training in, obviously we can't do spins, but my instructor is, like, oh, you just do this, you do this, or even let go and it'll come out of the spin on its own in most cases if it's a spin from a stall. But in the Cirrus, it's like as soon as you spin, you just pull caps and don't even try to get out. That's the procedure. Okay. That's correct. And, and that's become the procedure based on just having people trained to just do that as a reflex. It's just gonna, they think is result in fewer people dying if someone tries it and they're like, no, I think I can get it. I think I can get it. Yeah. Uh, there, there is people talk about, there's a lot of kind of misconceptions about spins, particularly around the series. A lot of people say that spins are completely unrecoverable in a series. They aren't, but they're not as easily recoverable in a series. As I understand it, that the way that the rudder and the horizontal stabilizer and the wing design of it, it's meant it's designed to do certain things safely. But one of the results is like more of the airflow over the rudder is blocked when it's in a nose, extreme nose low attitude. So the rudder is not as effective when you're spinning down. Gotcha. It's going to take a longer time to exit that. At that point, you might be running out of air or you might be running out of altitude. Yeah, no, I'm going to continue to get to pull caps if I find myself spin for sure. The only, the only thing that would make me that I'm thinking about it now is that if it were a developed spin and I were going very fast, if I were diving at 200 knots, it's likely that's outside of the caps envelope. It's likely that would not. The parachute would fail at that point. Okay. So Um, you don't, you want to make sure you pull before you even get to the, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So a big part of the training around Cirrus is, yep. Yep. Pull it before you're unrecoverable. Okay. Thanks. I think the question that nobody's asking that everybody wants to know is how many times have you used the phrase? Because I was inverted in the last week. <laughs> Can we just call you Maverick now? Exactly. I'm, you guys, so many of you have ridden in the plane with me. And I'm probably about as far from Maverick as anyone in this. It just, but that's part of why I wanted to take this training. I'm, I, I'm like boring. It's like, I'll make it easy. We, I was trying, I was trying to figure out what the plane limit is three and a half G's, negative 
1.5 or something like that. And I was like, I wonder if I've even seen 1.6 plane. I might not. In a steep turn, a 60 degree bank is 2G. I haven't been in a 60 degree bank in my plane. So yeah, I don't know. But you've been in a, you've been in a 45 degree bank and I can't remember what the load factor is on a 45 degree bank, but. I don't, it's basically the square root. So yeah, 1.4. Okay. But yeah, so the first time you flip that plane upside down, it's, it was a revelation. So I've never felt this in an airplane before. <laughs> and by the end, the last maneuver we did on the last day, this is, he was calling this the capstone. We basically did his entire, my instructor does air shows and we did his entire routine basically, one maneuver at a time. Last thing we did was an Immelman. And I don't know if you know what that is. I had heard of it, but I wasn't sure exactly what it is. You basically do half of a loop. And then at the top of the loop, when you're upside down, you just roll level. So it's a way to gain out. If you're going very fast, you need to gain altitude and turn and switch directions. Yeah, it's like doing a really quick 180. Just do half a loop and roll the level. But what makes it extreme is just how fast you do it. And we did when he showed me. His, he's, the goal is 6G on this. And so we did it. And he was like, we got to about 5.8 on that one. And he's okay. Now it's your turn. You try. And I was like, okay, I really want to do this. It's okay. Pull. And I got to 6G on my moment. So I was really proud of myself. <laughs> so what does that feel it like? Was, do you, it, is it hard to breathe? Yeah. It's like you're squeezing your legs. He's on, on a lot of these maneuvers. It's he'll tell me, okay, why don't you squeeze your legs on this one? It's not hard to breathe. Maybe I might not breathe. I don't know for some of these, <laughs> but I didn't find it hard to breathe, but it's just that sucking down on your face. And on that last implement, I did feel a little bit of gray on the edges of my vision and was realizing, I don't know if I'd get to seven G's. Six, six was a lot that felt like I was approaching the edge of my capability. But uh, did you it was get, a lot of fun. We so did. how did you know how to stop at the half loop? Did you just, when you're upside down, you... Was Or was all of this stuff that since you'd been exposed to it, it felt more comfortable trying to figure out? Yeah. Yeah. Stopping on the half loop is just by visual view of the horizon. On the, there were some maneuvers where we were flying straight up for a little bit. So we did a hammerhead, which is where you fly straight up until you lose enough airspeed. They rudder and then just tumble over to be pointing down to go straight down on those it's really hard. This plane doesn't have an attitude indicator. I had in, in my seat, I had two, two instruments. It was a, an airspeed indicator and an altimeter. Those were the only two instruments I had. I didn't even have a ball to figure out my rudder movements as we're doing these steep turns. So that was actually helpful. But on, when we're going straight up, there's actually a little metal pole that comes out of the end of one of the wings that at the end of it has this, and a geometric shape that's like a triangle and has a couple of other lines in it. And basically you line that up with the horizon. You're going straight up and then you have this triangle sticking out to the side of the wing and you try to get the flat bottom end of that triangle level with the horizon. That's how you know you're going straight up. So when you, when you can't see the horizon out the front, you're using your device there on the side. Or is he managing the throttle the whole time? He managed the throttle a lot. So in the maneuvers where I needed to adjust throttle to recover, so the spins particularly, taking throttle out on spins is like 
one of the biggest things. One of the biggest mistakes is not taking throttle out in the spin. So you had um, your own throttle control then? Had, I did have a throttle control. When we're doing some of these other maneuvers, I'm really I, not from, I didn't get checked out in this plane or anything like that. I didn't get a tailwheel endorsement to fly this. So that wasn't really the point of this training. So right. for a lot of it, he was doing some of the finer throttle maneuvering to, to get us into these situations. And for a stall recovery, I would advance the throttle, but I didn't know how much to advance it some of the time. But yeah, I would just, the amount, I feel like this was two thirds really useful, really good kind of muscle memory for me for these situations. And one third, just hell of a lot of fun. And we did, we, we did loops. I pulled all the way through a loop and I don't know when I would ever have the chance to do it in another situation. This would be really the only chance. So I would just really recommend if you guys want to get stuff and have fun, I would wholeheartedly recommend this kind of training. And where I did it, it was at Mike Goulian Aviation and in the extra 330. It's a pretty, it's a pretty hefty plane. It's a little bit expensive there. You can do all this training though in decathlons and satabrias at lots of places offer this kind of training. There were, I knew three instructors who did this around Pittsburgh when I lived there. So really it's, cool. uh, it's uh, available. I'm, I'm going to call it a night, but thanks for jumping on this, Josh. Well, it was a lot of fun. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, good night, Ben. We'll see you guys later. See you, Ben. Chris C. was asking if there was special equipment, helmets, oh, and I question. know there were parachutes. Yeah. Great question. Yeah, so I'm wearing a parachute. So that was the first time I learned to put on a parachute One of the on the first day. One of the things is how to use the parachute. So there's a, a process to that. Uh, I didn't wear a helmet on, and the instructor didn't. That wasn't required for this flight. I know that most airshow pilots in their routines do wear helmets, and they do wear gloves and flight suits. So my instructor wore gloves, but not a flight suit. And, and all the, all, anything I needed, they had that. The only thing I brought was my headset, my logbook. So does he That's sign, really cool. does he sign something in your logbook? Yeah, this is, there's, these are line item flights in my logbook, dual received. Oh, okay. But it's not, there's not any endorsement that you're getting. No, there's not any particular endorsement or certificate or, no, it's not any official kind of thing. I, I meant to look to see if there's something you can do with like wings credit that this would, I don't know a whole lot about the wings program. I have done a couple things through that, but yeah, so I am. Can you tell me about the, can you tell me about the, the spins? What's that like? Yeah. So the spins are a lot like a stall. Getting into it is stick back, low, fill the buffet. And then what we would do is bull kick. Kick the rudder just as that buffeting is starting to get intense, but before the stall. And you basically, it just drops. The wing just completely drops. And the feel of a spin is really different. This is, there are a lot of like surprising learnings I got from this. One is that a spin feels really gentle. And it was actually scary because you can see how someone hand flying an IMC, not 
paying a ton of attention. And just especially if you're in turbulence and you got some like forces going on, you could see how that you could not realize it right away. Mm. What's going on? It's pretty close to a 1G of maneuver as you're starting to go down and around. How would you... For it in this plane was... How would you identify that? Would that just be making sure you've got your eyes on your attitude indicator? I think that's it. I think it's if you're, if you don't have visual reference to the horizon, you got to be on your instruments. Dogged. So you were saying the recovery in this airplane? The recovery in this airplane was easy and, and he made a point to say, and Chris, you had mentioned this before. You, he made a point to say, it's actually a myth that most airplanes, you can just let go of the controls and it recovers itself. He's, that's true for incipient spins in some airplanes. But if you get into a developed spin, you need the rudder deflection to be able to exit in every airplane. The, the interesting thing about like aerobatic planes, like they're kind of like fighter jets in that they're inherently unstable. The weight and balance of them is such they tumble very easily. So getting into these spins is a little easier in these airplanes. Getting out of them, it's a little easier too because of the giant control surfaces. So knowing what to do in flying another airplane, if you're in one that you can recover from a spin, having the faith that you stop that rudder, you neutralize the controls and you take the power out, might take a half turn or a complete turn for that to catch, but it will. That was good learning. But like I said, my spin recovery technique's a little different. Caps available. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I pay for it. Might as well use it if I need. <laughs> Chris, did you have another question? Yeah, you had mentioned, I saw it a couple times. I could see the chat over the weekend and you mentioned something called a falling leap, which I think I can visualize. But can you explain what that is and how you get into that? Yeah. And out of it? It was great. I, love, I don't know. Have any of you guys ever done a falling leaf? I've heard of it. I've heard people yeah. teaching it. You've yeah. I've done them in the, yeah. It, I even did it really early in training, just in the trainer planes. And maybe just because the light sports tend to be a little bit more balanced and stuff, but it's super mild in those. So then to see you. So please. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's just the rotational axis of the plane I was flying. It's just so touchy. But the first thing we did was something called flying the wing, which sounds innocuous enough. And it basically is, it's basically finding the point of the buffet of the wings right? and that, that stall. It's basically stall, recover, stall, recover, stall, recover, stall, recover, stall, recover over and over again very quickly so that you're riding the stall and the flying. And getting the feel for that, knowing exactly when it's stalling. And then the next step after doing that, after getting a real feel for where that edge is, getting there and then hugging the stick back and putting in happy feet and trying to keep the plane level as it stalls. Because it is, if you're hugging that stick back, the nose is staying pretty far up and all that's happening in this plane in the extra is some pretty violent left and right twisting around the rotational axis. And it's just correcting that with rudder. Stopping, stopping. You're always overcorrecting. Let's and it sounds we were getting though. It's it sounds like you're really having to stay on it. 
Yeah. And I was getting, it was, it was at least 90 degrees in the, the worst times is you're flipping 90 degrees left, 90 degrees right as you're riding this. And then I started to get a little bit better and was only twisting around 45 degrees or so each time. But, but yeah, we were talking about it like falling. He's like, yeah, you just, you basically saw the airplane and you keep it straight with the rudders. Okay. I can do that. And he's like, Oh, it's no leaf. It flutters. Down. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> it's just like, whoa. It's like being in a washing machine or something. It's what are the, is it the oak trees? The ones that have the spinning, the seed pods? Yeah. yeah. The helicopters. Yeah. 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 That was a good one. I see Siskin has made it to the chat. Hey, Brian. I, I Brian, I, I feel like we can reliably come up with, we can rely on Brian to come up with a whole bunch more questions. You were saying something about the maneuvers? How you doing, Brian? Yeah. I was just saying the maneuver that I liked the best was called the Humpty Bump. I never heard of it. They have all these goofy names but it made me think of you ted it made me think of your plane it's kind of like a hammerhead and that you start and you just start going straight up but then as you slow instead of using the rudder instead of using the rudder to kick you sideways and down like you do in a hammerhead you pull back you jab the stick back and you flip over like this so that you're pointing straight down and then pull out the high g pull out to try and to you think it. i'm gonna be doing this no i think of the name reminds it reminds Humpty Dumpty. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's called the Humpty yeah. Bum. And yes, Chris, uh, as much as we all love the, yeah. was it Digital Underground? The thing that was, I don't know. That was a long time ago. But uh, yeah, so that was a real fun one because you get to feel, you get to feel that slowing down as you're pointing straight up. It's, it's a really crazy feeling. Hey, Brian, did you did you have a question? I saw your hand was raised at one point. I think we invited him onto the stage and he's okay. Oh, I thought I refused. His phone's probably in the other room or something. He's probably inverted right now just because of the yeah. winds. Yeah. He's definitely, it looks like he's definitely on a phone. Now? Hey, we can hear yeah. you. Oh, hey. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. I've been uh, trying to get in. You're in now. Welcome. Yeah. First question for Josh. Have you been Googling all the religions of the world since your experience? <laughs> Was there ever any point where you thought this is not a great idea? The day before <laughs> was when I felt that the most. And the guy called before the lesson and said, I don't know if they told you this. He's like, the person who scheduled it is like on vacation now. And I didn't find that they had, whether you had answered this. He's like, but there's a limit. You can't be over six foot two and you can't be over like 240 pounds. And it flashed in my head for an instant. To say, oh, well, that's too bad. I'm six five, three hundred, <laughs> as my way to get out without losing my deposit. Also, <laughs> I have COVID. But, that, <laughs> but then I would have hated myself for the rest of my life. So I was well, like, no, thankfully I'm five eight. Boy, if that isn't bargaining. That's bargaining in its purest form. But but and then the couple times when we did things and I was we were pointed. We were over Plymouth, Massachusetts, over the harbor there. A couple times we got into maneuvers and we were pointed straight down, just night, completely straight down, spinning towards, you can see the sun shining off the ripples of the water and it fills up all of your, all of your forward vision. And it's just, that is a weird feeling. But after the first couple times of that, it started to develop a much better trust in the plane, trust in the instructor and trust in the procedures. And I think that's really what it's all about is getting not, you're never going to feel comfortable doing that, but you're going to feel confident. 
I think it's that, that little bit of confidence building that's going to help minimize startle effect and eliminate any kind of panic if I find myself in an unusual attitude. So when you got home, it wasn't like your wife had already started like packing up your stuff or? No, I showed them videos after the first day of flying and my daughter, who's our daredevil, she's the one who jumps off buildings and does all the crazy stuff with me. Yeah. Because she had to stop watching. She's this is making me sick. (laughs) (laughs) Are you able, when you watch the video that you have, which is awesome, by the way, but when you watch the video, are you, is it still close enough of an experience to where you can remember exactly what you were seeing, thinking, feeling in those moments? Or is this something where you just look at it and go, I can't even believe that's me. The first day was a blur, and those videos are from the first day. I have better footage from the second day where I actually had audio from and video from inside the cockpit. Oh, so I'm cool. Trying to put together, I'm trying to put together a better thing that I'll actually put up on YouTube. We'll talk about it. Not in a lot of detail. Uh, my videos are pretty short. I just wanted to show, kind of show people what I did, why I thought it was worthwhile doing, and why they should do it too. But, but yeah, so it's, yeah, I spent the last couple of days going through a lot of the videos and just trying to relive the feelings I had in that moment so that it stays fresh. And, and yeah, it is funny to look at that first video to see there were a couple of times where I just did something wrong. I was in a nose down, usual attitude, I had a power, stupid, but, but yeah, so it's a little bit of both, but it is thinking back. I did four flights in two days. We did first day was all ground for seven hours. And then the next two days, it was a morning flight and an afternoon flight each day. And it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It was only about an hour each day, each flight, but, but it's still things were coming at it fast. I have 12 pages of notes just from the ground and then the pre-flight and then the post-flight debriefing. I've just written a lot of stuff down trying to, I read through it all just before this again. So yeah, I have another question. And my other question is being typically a sort of cross-country Cirrus driver, of course, you're going to take a certain amount of comfort from having been in those situations and knowing experientially how to get out of those situations, even though many are maybe not applicable to the Cirrus particularly. But I guess I'm just wondering, I guess I'm just wondering if, and I'm not saying I want this to be the case, maybe a little bit, but is there something where you're, you, it, has it opened up possibly another area of aviation pursuit for you not necessarily that you want to go into like hardcore acrobatics or whatever aerobatics but just i don't know do you feel like that is it gonna be this is a bad way to ask the question but it's kind of is it gonna be boring to get back into cross-country flying at cirrus yeah i don't think that'll ever be boring i hope that's never boring it hasn't been boring yet even though i think my passengers bored some of the time i'm i'm having a blast every time i'm up but the one thing it did do, and maybe this is what you're getting at, and the one thing I wrote down is just, I was thinking about this and going through, what did I get out of this? And one of the things it really did was it rekindled a flame of just finding new stuff to do in aviation. And I think I needed it. I think I was, that flame was a little dim. It's, I was settled into kind of a rut doing that same trip twice a month down to Pittsburgh and back. And, and in fact, just yesterday, the day after, I decided the day after my last training, I decided I'm just going to fly around the Cape, around Cape Cod and see what I can see and just feel the airplane a little bit more than I usually do 
on a typical IFR flight, fly VFR, not have any particular destination in mind. And it was actually a good, a good exercise because there were some low clouds in different areas and I had to dynamically decide where I was going to get through clouds. And that's not something I ever do. That is just, there are some clouds below 5,000 feet. I file far every time when I get in the plane, or at least up until now, I was just trying to push myself a little bit to get more comfortable getting out there, hand flying the entire time and making turns and climbs and descents because I'm picking a dynamic path and not because I'm just heading direct to a fix. Yes, I can imagine that, especially with doing primarily instrument flying for a good while now, that just flying around is pretty amazing. And I'm glad that it's reignited some of that. And the cool thing too is that you can now, it's like you got a whole different set of tools, right? If you need to, if the, if you, if the bases are 5,000 and you're at 6,000, you're coming up on a cloud, you can just get to it. Conventionally, people, I guess, would go into a descent, but you could just do a falling leaf and just get right down yeah. there. Yeah. Dude, people been up and through. Yeah. Then I, yeah, yeah. I can't use all the maneuvers I learned in my daily flight. Uh, I've said it before to this group. I, people talk about IFR proficiency. So you lose IFR proficiency really fast. And what I found is that you lose VFR proficiency too. And there is proficiency to reading the VFR charts, looking at the airspace, looking at the finding out am I 500 feet or 2000 feet, looking at the clouds or I guess a thousand feet. But that type of flying didn't do for a long time. And I lost proficiency at it. It's something that I'm fighting. Is there anything you want to do in the Cirrus now? Have you done stall work in a long time? Did, does it make you the things you want to experience again? Yeah. So it definitely makes me, I want to get out and do, I want to get with a CFI and do the, cause you can do a falling leaf in the Cirrus. That is one, one thing that's talking to my instructor. In fact, in the past, he had said, we got to get out there and try this sometime because I've done it with you. But when I did my transition training into a Cirrus, we did stalls to, did full stalls. And then after that, it's now that you've seen that we are going to recover at the first indication of a stall from here on out. And so it's, I haven't really been to a full stall on my plane, like since then, although I, we did it my last flight review, but, but it is something that, yeah, you don't, I'm, I feel well-versed in the idea of stalls now having done this training, but now it's like, I do want to apply that to my plane and get out there and do the pieces that I can do in my plane, do the stalls, accelerated stalls, especially that was actually a big part of this training at InMission is do a turning stall. We did a base to final stall demo where in a 45 degree bank, pretending like you overshot final, you're slow, you're in a 45 degree bank and you add some rudder and you pull. And the thing, the low wing just drops. And that was a real eye opener. Not necessarily do that in my series, but do some of the turning stalls, power on stalls. Those are things that I definitely want to get out there and apply this immediately to when I can. How much of your flying are you doing solo versus with people? Yeah, my, I, by hours, only about maybe a quarter of my flying is solo. So it's with others. If I'm not with a CFI, I'm members of my family. Yeah. That's just how it's, how it's been. That's the, that's why I bought the plane was to fly family around. So it's, that's the box I put myself in that I wanted to get put in. But, uh, but this, yeah, it's really reignited my desire and maybe recognize the need to, yeah, just get out there by myself. I don't go out and bang up the pattern as much as I should. Things like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because your mission is cross country. Yeah. Yeah. So Josh, do you think that, so for me with my tailwheel experience that I'm getting, I already, I was so quick to recognize that this is something that I want to do more of. It's challenging. It's not practical, right? In terms of flying people around or flying on a hot day, even is a little treacherous and a Cessna 140, but, but just the absolute challenge of it, I realized so quickly that I want to get not just an endorsement, but I want to get a thorough vetting and then some from this instructor who owns the plane so that I can rent it because that's not, that's something I want to do. Went through all this to get to the point where I had my own plane so I wouldn't have to rent. Now I'm dying to rent this other plane. So I guess I'm just wondering if there's even some chance like that you would look for some other type of experience that would be something you could do in parallel while still using the Cirrus for what Cirrus things do. So I would love, I, if someone gave me the chance to go out on a Saturday a month and do some aerobatic maneuvers, I would love to do that. But my eyes are bigger than my wallet for that at the moment. It's, it is something I, Coming out of this, I was thinking like maybe every couple years I might want to get out there and do some of this again. Maybe do two two flights of this kind of stuff again every couple years just to keep it fresh. And I think I said in a Discord, if I were twenty five years younger, I would I think I would be doing I'd be trying to do aerobatics in some amateurish kind of way because it is just so much fun and I enjoy that feeling, I enjoy that thrill so much and bringing together that kind of my love for flying aviation and my love for kind of like thrill seeking side of me i don't have a way to really safely do that in in my plane or in my mission of just carrying family members cross country but to find a way to do that safely it would be awesome maybe we all just chip in together and get an aerobat and they just (laughs) share it it's the midlife pilot satabria yeah hi josh Thanks very much for, for sharing this. Like we, we've seen it coming and then you shared the video and it's between Brian doing tailwheel, you doing this, yeah. it's, it opens up the midlife world of yeah. these are like the most adjacent things to, to what we do. And thanks for letting me just blabber about it for however long we've been doing this. It's been so much fun doing it. It's been it. about six hours. Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian, I have, whenever we do your tailwheel debrief. I have a ton of questions just because this is my first time riding in a tailwheel. I didn't take off and landed it. I flew it around quite a bit, but just all the different things that all the questions I had just from seeing that up close, it's crazy. So I'm eager to hear about what you're doing as well. Yeah, it was interesting when I was trying to explain to Katie that my favorite part of tailwheel is taxiing. Yeah, it's actually one of the most fun parts, but yeah. just, yeah, just, it, it is one of those things where it's like, once you, as soon, the moment you hit the ground in a tricycle gear plane, we all, our shoulders come down a little bit, you know what I mean? It's, you can relax, you got the wheels on the ground and then it's just such the inverse, right? It's like, at the that's moment, when the fun starts. you right. that's when you better be wide awake and loose as a goose and ready to start playing the game because it gets wild immediately. <laughs> so yeah. 
I don't know. I'm interested to see how this kind of simmers with you over time with this whole experience. I'm so glad you did it. It's surreal to see the footage, man, because it's like, it's bonkers. So thanks for sharing that. Thank you, guys. And I think being a part of this group has helped me keep that drive to get better at this stuff. I don't think if I were in a group like this that I would have maybe felt quite as motivated to always be trying to get better. Thank you, guys. Hey, man, peer pressure. It's all what it's all about. Yes, sir. No, it's true. I'm waiting for, I think that one dull geek is going to be borderline trevoring out of a plane at some point because he's going to combine skydiving and piloting at some point. That's now a verb. (laughs) Thank you guys so much, man. This is awesome. Thanks, Josh. Thanks. Thanks, you. Thank everyone. Siskin, do you want to do the sign off since this is your podcast? <laughs> this is a guest generated episode, guys. I, I'm just a lurker, but uh, but no, thanks for all the. Oh wait, would, aren't we supposed a, to stay say something like leave a review or I don't know what the heck that crap is? Well, just subscribe. I, 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 like, we, we should do just a real quick. Josh, make sure that people know where to find your channel and where to find that footage as it comes up. Uh, yeah, sure thing. Yeah, my channel is Josh McElhatton. If you can spell that, you're amazing. But it's M-C-E-L-H-A-T-A-N. And I just put up fun, silly videos of things that I like doing in an airplane. Awesome. Yeah, and we will we'll put the link in the description for this very special guest-generated episode. Maybe we just all we should do now. <laughs> we couldn't even get to it last week. It was just too much. Everything was too crazy. No, we'll be back Wednesday. But thanks, guys. And I guess somebody sent me the recording and we'll get this thing out. Will do. All right. Thanks, all.